Welcome again. Glad you guys are here tonight as we enter into this season of Lent. Uh, as Daniel said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm uh, glad, grateful to be with you and to spend time together in God's Word. Uh, our scripture this evening comes from the prophet Joel, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 12 through 14. This is God's Word. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask you to speak to us tonight, and you would speak through your word to our hearts, that as we spend time in your word tonight, that we would encounter you, the living God, and be transformed. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand? In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I had the distinct privilege of summiting what many would, believe, what many would say is America's most famous mountain. Uh, it's the mountain that inspired Catherine Lee Bates, to write the beautiful song, America the Beautiful. It's called Pike's Peak. It's true, if you've been there, words don't do justice to the magnitude of beauty that is offered on this mountain's majestic summit. And yet, if I'm honest, although I very much enjoyed what I saw, I couldn't help but notice that there were others who seemed to appreciate the view a lot more than I did. Now, it didn't take me long to realize what the difference was between these people and me, what it was that caused them to be so mesmerized. And the reason was that their pathway, the way they got to the summit, was very different than mine. True confession, I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but I drove to the top of Pike's Peak. Picture this, air condition is blowing, plush leather seats, some music in the background, coffee in one hand, snack in the other. It's a pretty comfortable ride. Compare that to the seven-hour uphill, grueling hike over rocks, through bushes and briars, laden with a heavy backpack filled with the water and food needed for survival. We're talking about two very different experiences, are we not? And although both paths lead to the same destination, as I could see clearly on the hiker's face, whichever pathway you choose has a dramatic effect on the experience that you have at the top. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the church's journey toward a destination that's far more glorious, far more beautiful, far more resplendent than even Pike's Peak. The destination is the pinnacle of the Christian calendar. 
the day on which churches all over the world pause to give special attention to the fact that he, Jesus Christ, is risen. The destination is Easter Sunday. And today, Ash Wednesday, marks the beginning of this journey, this this 40-day march to Resurrection Sunday. And tonight, what I want to do is just briefly put before you two different pathways, both that lead to Easter, but pathways that will no doubt produce very different experiences on the way and in the end. Pathway number one is to think little of this season of Lent. Think little of this time that the church has historically set apart to prepare our hearts and minds for the grandeur of Easter. Just continue in your normal rhythms and, and see what happens on Easter morning. And don't get me wrong, if you choose this path, I'm confident that you will still taste the goodness. You will see the beauty. You will be blessed on Easter morning. But that's the easy path. That's driving up Pike's Peak. And the consequence of taking the easy path is, I believe, to potentially miss out on something more that God has to offer you in this season of Lent. Consider pathway number two, the seven-hour, oftentimes grueling uphill climb, the much harder and more painful journey to Resurrection Sunday. Would you consider this pathway that maybe if you take this path, you might enjoy the destination that much more? So what does it look like? What does it look like to choose this path? What is the hardness that we are encouraged to embrace in this season of Lent? At its core, as as Daniel mentioned, Lent, Lent is a time to focus our hearts on that which made it necessary for Christ to come. It's the time to focus on the brokenness that is inside of us as well as the brokenness that is all around us. The Bible calls this repentance. It's the practice of declaring to God our need of salvation, declaring to God the world's need of salvation, declaring to God our inability to bring about that salvation. It's a humble declaration of our desperate need for a Savior. Now, I hear your rebuttal is not repentance something that we as Christians practice not just during Lent, but 365 days a year. I mean, Martin Luther made it clear in his first of the 95 Theses when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended the entire life of believers to be repentance. And that's true. Our whole life is to be marked by repentance. And yet long ago, the church discerned that it was right and wise to set apart these 40 days to place special emphasis and to focus and practice this discipline of repentance. Much in the same way that a runner seeks to always be in shape, but might take on a special diet or a special workout or sleep schedule as they prepare for a big race. Lent exists in the same way. It's not profoundly different than the normal Christian life, but simply chooses to give special focus and and attention to certain aspects of the Christian life to, to prepare our hearts for the biggest day of the year. So what does that look like? Before we get practical, I want to make one brief comment about why we do this. 
If you look at our text at verse 12, the prophet says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. I think it's easy to miss this, but the goal in repentance is to return to the Lord. It's nearness to God. And Joel says, here's three ways that you can find that nearness. He says, through fasting, through weeping, and through mourning. And so these are the three practices that I want to put before us tonight as an alternative pathway to the mountaintop of Easter. Fasting. Consider fasting in this season. Consider voluntarily denying yourself something that means a lot to you. Fasting is actually an often neglected biblical mandate, something that God calls us to. It's the intentional making oneself weak to be reminded that God is our strength, that God is all that we need. And, and I can speak from personal experience. I'm always amazed at how laying things down cultivates this deeper intimacy with my Heavenly Father. For some of you, this may be the first time ever to fast, and, and you could do a traditional fast, as Daniel mentioned. You could deprive yourself of food, or, or others might lay something else down that you hold dear. Daniel gave you a number of things that you might could do. But the idea is to look for something that you look to for comfort, and you lay it down so that in those times when you feel the absence of that thing that you often turn to for comfort, you now have this opportunity to turn to God instead. May this be a year that you lay something down. Weeping. Second, may this be a season that has moments of weeping. Throughout the Old Testament, we see instances where God's people are made aware of how deep their depravity really is, how truly sinful they are, and, and the response is always extravagant. Tearing of clothes, falling on one's face, crying out, Lots of tears. I'm not encouraging you to attempt to fabricate some sort of highly emotional experience, but rather I think what God is calling us to is a vigorous self-examination, a hard look in the mirror, asking those hard questions. What are the things in my life that have become more precious than God? What are the things in my life that if I lost would cause me to want to die? What are the idols in my life that have captured my imagination that are causing my love for God to grow cold? And if done honestly, I think the answers to these questions will grieve us. They will cause us at times to weep. If you're really brave, invite some others to examine with you. Ask your roommate, your classmate, your sibling, your spouse, your kids. It's a scary one. What are the things that they observe have become too important in your life? And then repent of those things. Weep before God, that, uh, uh, weep before God around the things other than Him that you have given your heart to. Lastly, mourning. May this Lenten season be a season where you practice mourning. To mourn is to give attention and time to things that are not okay. We mourn the loss of a loved one. We, we mourn the horror of what is taking place in Ukraine. We mourn the number of men in our city that are going to prison rather than college. We mourn violence, poverty. We mourn the ways in which this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And Lent is a season for us to very intentionally and very prayerfully do that. 
to refuse to ignore or deny the devastation that sin has caused in the world that we live in. And it's because of this special emphasis on mourning that many people will give attention to acts of mercy in this season of Lent. They will use Lent as a time to, in a particular and special way, engage the injustice that's around them, to seek to promote flourishing for those who are marginalized, oppressed, and hurting. Because part of the journey of Lent is not just to examine the brokenness inside of us, but the brokenness that's around us. And so, I encourage you, would you give some time and space to mourn in this Lenten season all that is broken in the world? And may it cause you to cry out, come Lord Jesus. Fasting, weeping, mourning. It's my charge for you and for myself tonight. Over the next 40 days, choose the hard path to Easter. And see the ways in which God might bless that journey and cause you to enjoy the glory of Easter Sunday more than ever. I want to conclude by looking again at verse 14. Notice here how the prophet is left hanging, not sure what will happen next, which is why he ends with a question. He asks, who knows whether God will turn and relent? The people of God are in the dark. They're wondering if their repentance will be received or not, whether God will turn his wrath or just give them the punishment that they know that they deserve. But church, we know, don't we? We know that God did turn and relent, that he left the most valuable blessing of all behind, new life, eternal life that is ours in and through Christ. Therefore, as we enter this season of Lent, we don't enter as those who are in the dark, wondering whether our repentance will be accepted or not. We know what happened on that first Easter Sunday. We know that Christ is risen, that sin and death have been dealt with once and for all, and that one day Christ will come back and he will make all that is wrong in the world right. We know. And so as you fast, weep, and mourn, may you do so with this glorious good news in the forefront of your minds that Christ has come and he will come again. And may that truth in the midst of all that is broken fill you with hope. Would you pray with me? Father, give us the courage this season of Lent to take the hard path. The seven-hour-long uphill climb to embrace fasting and weeping and mourning, to look closely, deeply, thoughtfully at the brokenness inside of us and the brokenness that is all around us. Would we repent? Would we cry out to you? Would we weep and mourn, grieve the ugliness at the same time, will we hold fast to the good news of your son Jesus crucified for us? And so may in the midst of this brokenness, we still hold on to the hope that is found in the gospel. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.